take your copy of God's Word again, please, and go to the book of Ephesians again as we're studying through this series that we've called Shine. And this time, if you'll find Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, it's been interesting to watch the reaction of various people, especially I've seen it on social media, regarding the Supreme Court decision um, concerning the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And what I've noticed is that regardless of where people line up on that, they're very passionate in their belief, they're very passionate in their position, whether they're for or against the position that the Supreme Court has taken. I would dare say even in the room this morning, we have people that would line up on either side. There were some who were greatly for and some who are greatly against. When it comes to matters like this, when it comes to matters like the sanctity of life and gender and the definition of marriage and other hot-button topics of our day that we see in our culture, what should drive our decision-making? In other words, how do we know where we should stand what we should believe, and how we should behave. I got to thinking about that and thinking about how people arrive at their own determination concerning these hot-button topics. You know, some are led by the culture. And so whatever the culture's doing, whatever seems to be in, people just kind of get in the stream and flow along with the culture. Others are led primarily by their emotions or their feelings. In fact, a lot of people are led today by their emotions and their feelings. Whatever feels right to them is what they do. Others try to take a more intellectual approach. And so they find someone that they highly respect and admire, someone who's an intellectual, someone whom maybe they follow their podcast or their news program or they read their books or whatever. And whatever that scholar holds... That's what that individual holds. And then others, well, they kind of follow their political parties. And so they look at their political parties and they say, well, what do the Republicans believe? What do the Democrats believe? What do the independents believe? And they just go along with their side, the donkey, the elephant, or whatever group they line up with. They just kind of go along with party lines. Whatever their party is saying, uh, that is what they go along with. And then there are those, if we were just honest about it, are just totally indifferent. They don't really care. Uh, they don't care about what's going on out in society. They don't care about the hot topic buttons, the uh, hot button topics today. In reality, as long as it doesn't impact them directly, they could care less about it. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to bother with it. And then we have to ask the question then, well, what about a follower of Jesus? What do we do? How do we know what to believe, where to stand, and how to behave in regards to these very important issues? Uh, in reality, these issues, that as much as we sometimes like to, we cannot ignore them. We cannot um, just kind of push them aside. What do we do? Well, it really comes down to one thing in particular. And I want to kind of help you think through this for just a moment. Then we're going to turn to what could be considered a controversial topic today. And really it comes down to this. As a follower of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves this question. What does God say about it? What does God say about it? And it always brings us back to this book. Now, I need to remind you, and I need to remind you probably often, and remind myself often, that really it doesn't matter what my political affiliation is or what my party might think or how I feel about a topic or whatever. The real issue, when it comes down to it, is this. 
God's Word. What does God's Word say about it? Because God is the one who has the final say. God is the one who has the ultimate say. God is the one who's always right. It leads us back to the Bible. The Bible is the final authority for faith and practice. God is the one who gets to say really what it is and what isn't. And His opinion is really the only one that matters. But here's where the rub comes. Because oftentimes God's Word is totally out of step with the culture. And it may even be out of step with the way that I feel about things and the way that I think about things because God's ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts higher than our thoughts. And His Word at times, especially living in our day, it it may seem to us as humans outdated and old-fashioned and even sexist at times. Now, I bring all this up um, to remind you of this because, first of all, God is never wrong. He's always right. He's always perfect. He's always relevant. He's always current. And I bring all this up not only because we're seeing this in our culture, but because of where we find ourselves today in Ephesians chapter 5. Because we're just taking God's Word in the book of Ephesians and we're going through it passage by passage. And we find ourselves today at a portion of Scripture that to many people could seem controversial. Um, It seems like maybe it's out of date. It seems like maybe it's out of touch. And what it teaches here is we're going to talk about the things concerning husbands and wives. We're going to talk about marriage today. We're calling this message Instructions for Husbands and Wives. And I'm just going to be blunt with you. I'm just going to preach and teach what the Bible says here. I'm not going to make any apology for it. I'm not going to make any excuses for it. God's Word is perfect. God's Word is right. But I do want to ask you to do something for me. I want you to listen to the whole message. Because what happens a lot of times when you get to a message like this is someone will find something they don't like and they'll just kind of tune out and focus on that. But I want you to hear what God says in totality. Because in reality, when you look at what's going to happen here concerning the home life of a couple, if they would live out what's taught here in the Word of God, their home life, their marriage would be wonderful. Now, I didn't say it'd be perfect. No marriage is perfect. We are imperfect people. We're married to imperfect people. In Christ, we're perfect, but practically speaking, He's still working on all of us. But if we really lived out the passage here concerning the role and the responsibilities that God has called us to in our marriages, then our, our marriage would be wonderful in many ways. But the problem is a lot of marriages aren't. They're not wonderful. Why? Well, I think Max Anders said it in a great way. He says, we have men who won't lead, women who won't follow, children who won't obey, and parents who won't nurture. It's every man for himself. The ship is going down, so every person is out to save his own neck. And so we really need to tune in for a few minutes. And we realize that's not the way that God intended marriage to work. Now, I realize I'm talking to a mixed crowd today. Some of you are no longer married. Maybe your spouse has passed away. Maybe you've divorced or whatever. You're not really thinking about marriage. Well, you can pray for those who are in the midst of marriage. Some of you are contemplating getting married. And you're just excited about that and you're thinking about those things where you need to tune in today. Then we have a lot today that are married. This is the type of message that you kind of listen to with selective hearing at times. And you hear, well, I hear what he says to you. Well, that's good, but make sure you hear what he says to you as well, all right? Not just your spouse, but yourself. So let's read God's Word. Again, I want to ask your favor today to hear out the whole message, to consider what God is saying to you here In Ephesians chapter 5, as we talk about instructions for wives and for husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, I'll begin reading at verse 22, I'll read down through verse 33. 
God's Word says it's the inspired and errant and fallible Word of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. As I was rereading this, preparing for today again, just kind of reviewing my notes, I noticed that word own a lot, O-W-N. I want you to notice that as we read. It just said, let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We see a parallel, a picture in our marriages concerning the Christ and the church. There is a picture there. There's a type there. We find in the passage that wives are addressed first and the husbands. We're going to follow the same pattern today. What does the Bible say? Now, this is talking about roles. This is talking about responsibility. And when God gives instructions here, and here's where the rub comes for a lot of ladies especially, because the key word when it comes to the role of the wife in the marriage is the word submit. In fact, in verse 22, it says submit. In verse 33, it has the idea of respect. Both of those go together. And so what does it mean when God says that a woman, a wife, is supposed to submit to her own husband? Well, let's talk about what it doesn't mean for a moment. And be very, very careful here. This does not mean that you're inferior. This does not mean that you're not worth as much as your husband. This does not mean that you're less intelligent or creative or educated This is in no way belittling you or saying that you're not valuable. This does not mean that you're a slave. This is not saying that you're unimportant. It means no such thing. So what does it mean when it says to submit? I like what Homer Kent Jr. said. He said, this conveys no disparagement of women, but rather relieves them of the responsibilities for which they are best suited and frees them for for their pursuit of their God-given functions. Listen, there's no hint of inferiority except in position. Wives may be the equal of and many times superior to their husbands. Are you ready for this? In intelligence, don't look around, in courage, in spirituality, in moral discernment, in discretion, and in a thousand other ways. In fact, let's just be honest about it. How many of us have met a couple before and we've talked to them at length? And Again, don't look around, just look right here. How many of us have met a couple before, we've talked with them at length and walked away and said to our own spouse, how in the world did he end up with her? I mean, she's way out of his league, but God has blessed him. He says as members of the body of Christ, they're equal. That's important. Before Christ, we're equal, Galatians 3.28. But in the matter of authority and position in the home, 
The Bible is absolutely clear. The wife is subject to the authority of the husband. See, this is not about worth. It's not about value. It's not about your personhood. This is all about roles and responsibility. There's a God-given order in the home. And it's important that we have order in our home. Just as there's order everywhere, there's a God-given authority, a structure pretty much in every area of life. At your work, at school, in the, uh, at your home, there's authority, there's an order. And the man is to be the leader in the home. We're going to talk more about that later. And in fact, if you'll notice, there are a lot more verses directed toward the men than toward the women, because I guess we're slow learners. Wives are told here to submit, verse 22, to be subject, verse 24, and to reverence or respect in verse 33. Now, I want you to notice the specifics about this, because it's very important we understand exactly what God is telling us to do. First of all, it says that she's to submit to her own husband. It does not say you submit to every man. It does not say that you're to, to, to submit to men in general. You're to submit to your own husband. That is, this is you and your spouse. You become one. Notice also that you're to submit as unto the Lord. Well, what in the world does that mean? What it means is as a wife submits to her husband, she's submitting to the Lord. She's honoring the Lord. She's obeying the Lord. And if she doesn't, then she's not obeying the Lord. Now, obviously, this kind of submission is the idea of putting yourself under authority. Um, that is, it should be done in the right way. It's not a huffing have to. It's a sweet voluntary thing. In other words, you just realize that in the marriage order of things that God has given you a husband, and when it comes to order in the home, he's to take the lead. But that also means he has to take the responsibility, as we'll see in a moment. And so God has placed you in that, and it's really yielding to the Lordship of Christ. It's interesting, as you look at the Scripture here, if you look at verse 23 and 24, for the husband is the head of wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. So we believe in the priesthood of the believer here. We believe that we can go to Christ um, as a believer, we also believe in congregational church government, that we each get a vote, if you will, but we're all under the lordship of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. We submit to Christ in all things. And the same picture is there. So there's an order. There's a headship. There's a leadership. And it's the same in the home. And God says, listen, I want the man to take the lead. Sadly, that's not always the case. There's some men who won't take the lead. But that's the God-given way here. And so the, the idea is, and the question is this, does your home picture the church? Does your marriage picture the church? Does it portray the church of Jesus Christ? And maybe you say, yeah, we fuss and fight all the time. It sure does picture the church. But that's not the idea. There's, there's to be peace and harmony within the body of Christ. There's to be peace and harmony in the home. Now, how far does this submission go? Well, as you keep reading there, you notice the last two verses, or last two words in verse 24. It says that she's to submit to the, her husband in everything. In everything. Mm. Now, let me qualify that for a moment. As you're looking at the screen, you're looking at the scripture, notice the phrase right before, in everything. It's the phrase, as unto the Lord. So we've got to qualify that. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean this. You're to submit, ladies, in everything that's done as unto the Lord. In other words, if a husband tries to get his wife to do something that's immoral, illegal, unethical, or sinful, she didn't have to submit to him. 
Because that's not done as unto the Lord. It's actually disobeying the Word of God. It's disobeying the will of God. It's the same principle that applies to us as citizens in the government. I mean, we're celebrating our freedom today. We're celebrating the United States of America and our independence. But in reality, we know the Scripture teaches that if the government comes along and says, listen, you have to do something contrary to what God's Word says, the Bible says we ought to obey God rather than man. And so it comes to a point where they say, listen, you can meet, you can sing, you can smile, you can greet all you want, you can even eat, but you're not allowed any longer to, to teach or preach from this book because this book is outdated and it's bigoted and we don't like what it has to say. And if you do, you're doing something illegal, we have a decision to make. What do we do? We ought to obey God rather than men. And so we go ahead and keep on teaching, preaching, following the Word of God. Why? Because God is right. And it's the same principle here. It's the same thing. And so if a wife is in a situation or husband is trying to get her to do something illegal, let's go rob a bank. Immoral. Unethical. Something that goes against God's Word even. Then she does not have to submit because that's not as unto the Lord. Likewise, she does not have to submit to being beaten or abused. Now I know that... The, most sitting here say, well, that's just kind of out there. This is a part of me. Well, sadly, it does to some ladies. Sadly, it does. God never ordained. In fact, as we get to talking about what the men are supposed to do and what the men's roles and authority is, to think about a man hitting, striking, abusing, beating his wife goes so far against the Scripture, it's not even fathomable when you read this passage of Scripture. So I just wanted to qualify that. For a moment, But as we get back to a more normal situation, how does this play out? How does a wife lovingly and sweetly submit to her husband? Does that mean she can't have an opinion? Well, absolutely not. Does that mean she can't have input? Well, absolutely not. In fact, a wise husband will seek his wife's opinion and input. And in reality, this is all about really headship and leadership and really the responsibility. I think about our own marriage Danielle and I will be celebrating, what, 25 years in December? 25, we got married when we were five, and um, we'll be celebrating 25 years. And I think about in our marriage, most of the time the decisions that are made are just mutually made. There's not much discussion, decision, we're on the same page. But it comes down to this, when we get to that point where we can't quite agree or the decision is difficult, I have to make the final call, her input, her decisions, her, her, all of that and plays in. But in other words, the responsibility is mine. And if it blows up, it's my fault. If it messes up, it's my fault. That's the picture here. And that's what some ladies struggle with, especially very intelligent ladies and ladies that are far superior in many ways to their husbands. And they say, he's going to do that. That is so dumb. That's going to blow up. That's a royal mistake. He won't listen to me. What do I do? Well, if it's not sinful, immoral, illegal, and he decides to do it, then you have to submit as unto Jesus Christ, and you have to trust the Lord that he'll take care of you because you're seeking to obey him in these things. Does that make sense? Nowhere do we find that submission to authority is always easy. Case in point, paying your taxes. Is it always easy? No, we don't like that. But we submit to authority. We render unto Caesars the things that are Caesars, unto God the things that are God. And we pay taxes. There's a lot of things we like. They're so dumb up there in Washington. Look at what they're doing and all. But we still have to submit to that, even though it's not easy and even though <clears throat> we would make different decisions because we know better, right? So, wives, you have to make up your mind that with God's enablement and God's help, 
You're going to respect, you're going to submit to your husband. I like to think of it as sweet submission. It's, it's the idea of, of voluntarily submitting. It's not like a criminal at gunpoint. That's not the idea at all. It's the idea that you're going to submit under the Lordship of Christ and you're going to build up your husband. You're going to help your husband. Can I just be honest with you, ladies? Here's the truth of the matter. You may not realize just how much your husband needs you. He probably doesn't know how much he needs you. That's why it's good for you to go off to the ladies' retreat in September and let him be here for a couple of days by himself. And he'll welcome you home with open arms and say, Honey, I'm glad that you're home. I apologize for the disarray in the home. Can I just remind you, he desperately, desperately needs you. I can't help but think of what Adrian Rogers said about this years ago. I always think about it whenever I study a passage like this. He said, Headship does not mean privilege. It means responsibility. Marriage is two equals who come together with different roles in the covenant. This is the part I always remember. Somebody's going to take the leadership role. Did you know that? Somebody's going to take the leadership role. I don't care what group you're in. You can get a group of kids together to play hide and seek after church today, and you'll get four or five together, and somebody's going to step up and say, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, who's it, where are you going to hide, how long you're going to count, and they're going to take the role. Somebody's going to take the leadership role, and Rogers went on to say, anything with no head is dead, and anything with two heads is a fruit. Somebody has to take the head. Somebody has to be the leader. And God says... Men, that's your role. Now, here's where it gets hard. We move from the ladies to the men. And guys, we noticed, I mentioned before, there's more verses for us. Husbands, we're to provide loving leadership. It's interesting that God says to the wife, submit, but He does not say to the husband next, rule, conquer, be a tyrant, be kingly. No. Notice your word, guys. Notice our word. Our word is love. Love. It says it again in verse 28. Verse 33. Pretty clear. Love. Love. Love your wife. Now what kind of love is he talking about? Well, he's talking about agape love. This is Jesus' kind of love. This is a love that puts the other person above yourself. Uh, this is how Jesus loves the church. And we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. You say, well, how does that work? What does that mean? Well, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and did what? Gave himself for her. What does that mean? He died for her. Loved her to death. <laughs> Love her to death. We're to die for our wives if necessary. This kind of love is a sacrificial love. Men, do you love your wife? Sure. You say, yeah, preacher, I love my wife. Does she know that you love her that much? I think about uh, Coach Bobby Bowden. Coach Bobby Bowden was asked by his wife one time, Honey, do you love me more than football? Do you love me more than football? And Bowden thought for a moment and said, College or pro? <laughs> Do you love your wife sacrificially? Um, knowing many of you personally as I do, I have no doubt for one second, if put in the situation where you needed to defend and protect your wife and children, 
you would put your life on the line. You would die. You would take a bullet. You would sacrifice yourself for your spouse and for your children. Uh, any of you would. I know you would. I would. God helping me. But you know, how is it that we would die for our wives? I mean, literally, we would die for our wives. We would put our lives in line. We would take a bullet. We would do whatever we could to die for them if we had to. We don't fully live with them. I mean, you would take a bullet for her, but you won't take her out on a date. Um, you would defend her to death, but you won't turn off the TV long enough to talk to her. You would give up your whole life, but you won't give her some time. You might be saying, well, preacher, you've gone from preaching to meddling now. Well, I am. Why? Because I'm being a little bit hard. Why? Because God gave us that responsibility. God put us in leadership. God holds us accountable. We're the ones that are going to answer for our families, for our marriages. Because God put us to be the leader of that place, the leader of our home. And He wants us to live with them in the agape love. That is a, a sacrificial love, not one that's self-seeking, but that's serving others. And furthermore, it's to be a sanctifying love. It's interesting if you look at verses 26 and 27. It says about Jesus that He might uh, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. In other words, what Christ is doing for us as the church, God wants us to do that in our families. In other words, we're to have a sanctifying love for our wives and our children. What does that mean? Well, it means this. We're to help them to grow in the things of Christ. And so are you helping? Are you making it possible? Are you encouraging your spouse, your wife, to grow spiritually? Well, not if she has to nag you to come to church. Not if she has to nag you to take the lead. Not if she has to nag you to make sure that you make sure that the blessing is set over the food. Not if she has to encourage you to turn off a particular show on TV because it's not something fit to watch. And you might be thinking, well, preacher, you're being so hard on me. Yes, because you're the leader. You're the authority. You're the one that God has put as the head. You're the one that's supposed to be out front leading your wife and your children and your families. And it's time for men to step up and be godly men who will take the reins and lead their families for Jesus Christ. Because we're going to give an account for these things. And furthermore, if you're really smart, the love that you have for your wife is actually... Beneficial to you. Why? Because in many ways it is a self-love. Say, so what in the world are you talking about? Well, keep reading. It says in verse 28, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I remember a comedian had a little saying, kept saying, Happy wife, happy life. But anyway, uh, look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. In other words, you're to love your wife like you love yourself. And some guys, I don't love myself. I don't love myself. Well, let me just ask you real quick. How plush is your recliner at home? How do you respond when you misplace your remote control? What if she wants to go shopping and the game is on, huh? Don't, don't say you don't love yourself. We love ourselves in so many ways. He's saying, listen, you're to love your wife like you love yourself. And furthermore, when you love your wife, you are loving yourself. As you're blessing her, you receive a blessing in response. 
Why? Because you're one. Verse 31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's so much caught up in that. That is more than just a sexual union. There's so much there in that one flesh. They're one in Christ. He says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Maybe you're concerned that you can love your wife too much. I read about a man who really had a legitimate concern that he would love his wife too much. And so he went for counsel. And the person counseling simply asked him this question. He said, do you love her more than Christ loves the church? And the obvious answer is no. You can't love her too much. And it did say you can love in an unwise way, and that's true. But you can't love too much. You see, love, I want you to hear this. Remember, this is agape love. Love is more than a feeling. Sure, there are feelings. Sure, there are emotions. Sure, there's all of that. But love, agape love, is more than a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice that we must make. It's a choice that we can make. It's a choice to esteem the other better than ourselves. It's a choice that even when we don't feel like it, we choose to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Well, let me finish by talking about what this looks like. I thought, well, how in the world can I really show you how does this play itself out on a day-to-day basis? And I was studying... I came across a picture of this, what this looks like, this whole idea of submission and love in real life. I think the Kellers explain it well. Pastor Tim Keller and his wife Kathy, they wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And in it, Kathy gives an example of submission and a tough life choice. Let me share this with you in their own words. In the late 1980s, our family was comfortably situated in a very livable suburb of Philadelphia where Tim held a full-time position as a professor. Then he got an offer to move to New York City to plant a new church. He was excited by the idea, but I was appalled. Raising our three wild boys in Manhattan was unthinkable. Not only that, but almost no one knew who knew anything about Manhattan thought that the project would be successful. I also knew that this would not be something that Tim would be able to do as a nine-to-five job. It would absorb the whole family and nearly all of our time. It was clear to me that Tim wanted to take the call, but I had serious doubts that it was the right choice. Kathy wrote, I expressed my strong doubts to Tim who responded, well, if you don't want to go, then we won't go. However, I replied, oh, no, you don't. You aren't putting this decision on me. That's abdication. If you think this is the right thing to do, then exercise your leadership and make the choice. (laughs) It's your job to break the long jam. It's my job to wrestle with God until I can joyfully Support your call. Tim made the decision to move to New York City and plant Redeemer Presbyterian Church. The whole family, my sons included, consider it one of the most truly manly things he ever did because he was quite scared, but he felt a call from God. At that point, Tim and I were both submitting to roles, listen, 
submitting to roles that we're not perfectly comfortable with, but it is clear that God worked in us and through us when we accepted our gender roles as a gift from the designer of our hearts. I say all that to say this, beloved. Both of these roles are tough. Ladies, it's tough at times to submit. Gentlemen, it's tough at times to truly lead, to take the responsibility, to be the one to say yes or no and realize that you are responsible. And so we need God's help. We need God's enablement. We need God's power. We need God's wisdom in these matters. And if we will truly obey the Lord and truly submit to His authority in whichever role we find ourselves, say, God, with Your help, I want to do what You've told me to do. When both spouses do that, your marriage can be a wonderful place. Not a perfect place. Not an easy place. But a wonderful place of peace and harmony as you follow Christ together, hand in hand doing what He's told you to do. Father, we love You today. We thank You for the gift of marriage. We thank You for the gift of home. We do pray for marriages, even the marriages that are represented here in this room, that You would help us, Lord, to obey You, to follow You, to live as You called us to live, to do what You called us to do. Lord, help us not to be led by culture, but to be led by Christ. Help us not to be led by the world, but led by the world, uh, the Word as we obey You, as we follow You day by day. Bless the wives that are here and those that will hear this message. Bless the husbands, Lord. May You be in their lives in a very special way. May their homes radiate Christ. And we give You honor and we give You glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's just sing one verse in closing and then we'll go... Hope you have a fantastic rest of your July 4th weekend. A lot to mull over, a lot to chew on in this. And uh, good discussion on the way home. Right? Husbands and wives. Say, we ain't going back to that church again. 516, let's just sing one verse. Like a river glorious, let's stand together and sing. Like a red